Hello and welcome to At Any Rate Podcast. I'm Meera Chandan from the FX Strategy team in London. And I'm joined by Saad Siddiqui today, uh, my colleague from uh, New York from Emerging Markets. So that was some week. Uh, we knew it would be action-packed. Uh, we had the PMIs, the central bank meetings. Uh, it looked like everything was going just fine, but that payrolls uh, number today really hit it out of the ballpark. And it didn't really help any of those uh, who save all our writing for Fridays. Uh, but let's uh, let's talk about markets. Saad, let's start with you. What are you thinking now on emerging markets? Now, obviously, this has changed Fed pricing. They probably have to hike more, stay at high levels for longer. Does it change the narrative around emerging market FX? Hi, Mira. I think um, we should probably take a bit of a step back first before assessing what this latest data print on, you know, from the, uh, you know, from payrolls means for emerging markets. Now, over the past couple of months, we've had a generally supportive set of developments for emerging markets, starting with lower natural gas prices, which clearly helped a lot of the Central Eastern European currencies. We then had pretty compelling evidence of disinflation taking hold. I think the markets were getting increasingly comfortable with the Fed uh, pricing as well. And um, the messaging we were getting from central banks was you know, a bit more supportive. Uh, we've had the China reopening story, which we've talked quite a bit about in the emerging markets team. Uh, and we've had the terms of trade boost on the back of that. So uh, in that context, let's kind of go through um, what's been happening this week. So you mentioned the central bank meetings, you know, the Fed and the ECB. I think the Fed meeting clearly was a source of support for emerging market currencies, further confirming uh, that um, the sense that we've seen the peak of Fed hawkishness, at least for now, um, is, uh, is, is, is pretty much uh, entrenched. Um, the PMIs, again, I think were net supportive of emerging market currencies. Um, you know, we had, you know, a bit of a bounce globally, but I think it's important to note that if you look at the gap between the emerging market uh, versus the U.S. PMI, that has been in emerging markets' favor now for, for the last uh, few prints. Uh, and we've sh seen that does have a good correlation with uh, returns on emerging markets assets as well, especially on currencies. So those two were supportive um, as well. Clearly, the labor market print today has been a complicating factor. It's been a fly in the ointment. It's a reminder that the concerns that we had are not just limited to uh, you know, a hard landing or recession in the U.S. We could still have a, you know, a lingering concern that things are still overheating. And as you mentioned, the Fed, uh, does the Fed need to um, uh, you know, change their narrative again? Do markets need to meaningfully reprice the path for, um, you know, for, for the Fed funds rate and so on? And do we get another round of EM weakness from a tightening of financial conditions? Um, I think it's probably a little bit too early to say. I think this one data point does have to be put in the context of all the other things which have you know, you know, predominantly been very supportive uh, for uh, emerging markets. And my sense is that unless we're going to see uh, marked um, you know, you know, inflationary pressures come back to the fore, then maybe um, this won't necessarily have um, you know, the ability to reverse all the other supportive things that have been happening for emerging markets over the last couple of months. Sure. So it looks like the positive backdrop for EM stays in place. 
Uh, what would you say are the highest conviction views in EM right now? And then also, of course, is China rebound mostly priced in? Yeah, so I think China is, uh, it has been the most meaningful and consequential development for emerging markets over the past uh, couple of months since December coming into this year. I think that's going to remain the case unless we see, you know, real shocker of kind of further data, you know, coming from from the U.S., so I think it's really China being the center uh, focus for us in in emerging markets. Now, is the China growth um, story, is that fully priced by markets or not? That's one of the most vexing and also one of the most important questions, I think, for, uh, for EMFX. Um, the analysis that we've done suggests that, you know, we've clearly priced in a decent bounce already, but I don't think we've... Um, by any stretch kind of fully priced in the type of growth forecast that JP Morgan has. So, you know, for 2023, end of 23, our year over year forecast is in the vicinity of five and a half to 6%. And, you know, we're going to see quarterly prints um, in the high single uh, digits um, as well uh, in, in, the, in, in the next um, one or two quarters. So, you know, if you look at the official PMI this week in China, it, it bounced to about the 50 level. It was previously around, you know, 47. Um, the analysis we had done previously suggested the market was pricing in um, a level of the official PMI of around 50. So the market had anticipated what was going to happen, you know, in January. Um, but, you know, I think the runway there is, 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 is still a long and durable one. I mean, obviously things are still yet to pan out. This is still uh, to to be seen in the data, but my sense is that the market has not fully uh, priced in what we could price in for for a China growth impulse. And then you ask about the highest conviction views. Well, naturally, I think what falls out from um, the sense that we haven't fully priced in China, not only have, have we not fully priced in the China growth, but even if you look at the relative pricing, what's been happening is that... Um, you know the 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 currency markets and EM have latched on to the very obvious kind of no-brainer beneficiaries of a growth boost in China, the likes of Korean won, Thai baht, and uh, you know one could argue they had probably kind of overdone the growth pricing in some of those currencies. But you have a large number of currencies that have a high degree of trade exposure to China, uh, and they haven't really fully joined the dots. For what growth is going to mean, and they haven't fully priced in uh, the terms of trade boost. Um, you know, those include um, IDR. You know, that's one currency uh, that we like, and also I'd say you know thematically Latin American commodity exporters that tend to have a high uh, relation, high degree of uh, trade exposure to China, and they they benefit from the commodities terms of trade boost. Those currencies are. Um, uh, are kind of yet to to fully price in that that dynamic. Uh, one final point I would make is you know our EMFX risk appetite index, uh, which you know we consider to be a relatively reliable short term indicator uh, for market risk sentiment, was already flagging to us that maybe we had um, really gotten a little bit ahead of ourselves in the very short term, um, and the entry levels right now um, were not necessarily ideal to get long. So we've been kind of respecting that, um, but I think if you do get some 
you know, some correction here, maybe on the back of this, this labor market data that could open up some opportunities um, to, you know, kind of um, uh, new opportunities to express this, this China theme uh, with better entry levels. But Mira, that's been on the FX side. I mean, for the dollar, clearly it was um, this labor market print and what it could mean for um, Fed pricing, that could be consequential. How are you thinking about it uh, for the dollar here? I'm sure, Saad. So, you know, I'm very much actually in agreement uh, with the view that you just outlined. Now, if you take a step back and you say, what was recent dollar weakness really driven by? It was driven by two factors. Uh, the first one was uh, the U.S. specific factors, which is declining inflation um, and, um, you know, which we are still getting confirmation on if you look at the uh, the employment cost index this week. Um, but, you know, the fact that inflation was coming down sort of made the Fed terminal rate come into sight. Um, and, um, you know, so that was one part of the equation that the Fed's um, decelerating in terms of rate hikes and potentially coming to a pause. But the second side, which is actually, I, I think, personally, a more important one was the growth rebound outside the U.S. and specifically, you know, not just China, but also out of Europe um, as well. And, and this whole issue with the gas prices falling and the supply glut that we're seeing right now in Europe has really helped boost uh, producer sentiment here as well. So um, it was a two-factor um, phenomenon. Now, if you if you look at the U.S. side of the equation on that, I think the payrolls were a big deal. Inflation is obviously still declining in the U.S., but labor markets are so tight um, that um, that there might be limits, um, you know, to how much the Fed can achieve, uh, you know, with what's uh, with what was priced into the market before uh, before this number came out. And I would say that. Uh, you know, basically, this raises the odds that the Fed's potentially going to have to hike by more. They don't have to stay on hold for longer. And, um, you know, does this change the growth picture that you outlined? Uh, does it change the China rebound story or the European story? Not really. Um, and I think that's the important thing here is that the growth linked currencies um, and, you know, you mentioned the China proxies um, and the Latin American countries in EM. I think I would put in, in the DM space, the Aussie dollar, for example, in the same bucket should be relatively more resilient uh, and should be able to weather a repricing in the Fed uh, that um, and that this um, that this uh, payroll sprint brings about. Um, the, the, the currencies that are most at risk with the Fed repricing are actually not the growth-linked currencies. I think growth-linked currencies are okay so long as growth is doing fine. Um, it's really the lowest yielders like the, yeah, uh, the Japanese yen or the Swiss franc that start to become more vulnerable. So I actually think that this could end up sort of uh, furthering the positive streak of returns we've been seeing from uh, carry trades um, in FX. But I think net-net still, you know, my personal bias is still to lean towards pro-growth trades, China reopening trades. Um, I think obviously that sort of lends a, itself a bias of a bearish dollar in the in the near term. But, you know, we're not sort of discriminantly, uh, we wouldn't be sort of discriminantly chasing sort of the dollar sell-off uh, here. Um, I, I think, you know, very much focused on sort of the China link story more than anything else, as, as you outlined. So uh, out of those themes, which ones would you say right now is relatively high conviction uh, for you at the moment? Look, I mean, our our focus has been regional rotation um, by far. We've tried to steer clear um, of um, chasing this dollar weakness outright because 
um, of the issue that you pointed out that we're sort of flipping very quickly on the US side of the equation from the over, you know, are we overheating in the US um, to potential recession risks? And I think that, you know, on a risk adjusted basis um, for, uh, for investors, we should be thinking about regional rotation themes. Uh, to us, the, you know, sort of the, when you look at the global lift outside the US, the more durable theme is really the China story. It is, it's got a multi-quarter longevity to it. The Euro lift is real. Let's not discount that. But, you know, there is at the end of the day, a huge geopolitical risk, um, you know, with, uh, with the Russian invasion that is, uh, that reduces quite substantially the visibility around uh, how Euro is going to evolve. Otherwise, you know, if it weren't for that, this would be a textbook sort of Euro uh, bullish uh, narrative as well. So, you know, our, our regional rotation themes are focused more on China. I would say uh, the Australian dollar within DM is probably the best way to express this. And like you mentioned, um, Saad, with emerging markets, I don't think that we're uh, necessarily overshooting uh, compared to the uplift that we're seeing in the China growth momentum. So uh, very much like that. Uh, we like that versus sort of weak high beta currencies elsewhere. I would put the Canadian dollar in that bucket or even uh, potentially um, uh, sterling as well, because that's one place where actually the idiosyncratic um, conditions are still pretty weak. Um, the final point I'll make is is really around the Japanese yen longs. Look, we've we've been biased uh, towards a bullish stance on um, on the Japanese yen. It's been it's a great form of a recession hedge. It's highly correlated with U.S. yields. Uh, we've been expressing that. Um, so Japanese yen longs versus say the you know uh, a bullish view versus say the Canadian dollar or New Zealand as recession hedges. Uh, you know, personal bias here is still for dollar yen to keep heading lower. Um, but very much, um, you know, this is going to be very much contingent on what U.S. yields end up doing. So um, I think we're going to be tactically looking at, um, you know, what kind of positioning washout that is. But certainly the medium term trajectory, in my mind, is actually still for dollar yen lower. So there you have it, um, our views in emerging markets and um, global FX. Uh, if you have any more questions, um, please reach out or take a look at our research reports on jpmm.com. Uh, this communication is provided for information purposes only. Uh, please refer to JP Morgan Research Reports related to its content for more information, including important disclosures. 2023 JP Morgan Chase & Company, all rights reserved. This episode was recorded on February 3rd, 2023.